Hi, this is Marnix van der Stolpen, product owner at Google, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill, and today I have Marnix van de Stolpe from Coolblue on the line. How's it going, Marnix? Yeah, it's going great. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I also want to acknowledge you're one of our original members of the data product leadership community, so uh, it's fun to, to uh, have this chat with you here. And there's also a little bit of a preview chat of an upcoming webinar that we're going to do, and I'm super excited to hear about this. The, the title is really compelling. Do you want to tell them what it is? You want me to tell them? <laughs> Yeah, so we decided on the title together, I guess. You came up with most of it, but it's it's about how we uh, threw away about 18 months of worth of machine learning work and uh, started again and uh, are now trying to adopt a product mindset at Google, especially also for the data part. So your product owner is your formal title there. Can you just give people, what is Cool Blue? If you're not from the Netherlands, maybe you don't know. What is Cool Blue and what exactly are you a product owner of? Cool Blue is an e-commerce company in a way but uh, very different from e-commerce e companies like Amazon. Um, so what we actually do is we make sure that we really understand what the customer wants and we optimize it fully for them end-to-end. -end. And that means that we actually have a very uh, small assortment. So we're more like the, the brick-and-mortar corner store with the specialists, but then at scale and only in the Netherlands or, well, Germany and Belgium as well. We're known for, for example, washing machines because you really want those Nobody goes shopping for a washing machine. So when you ever, when you really want a washing machine, right? A small disaster happened because the thing broke. There's probably laundry in it. Kids want to go to football practice or whatever. Yeah. So you want to know now that we'll go and come fix it whenever you're at home. Uh, can be tomorrow. Can be tomorrow morning. Whatever. So that's what we do, end to end. And, and in terms of this, your, your product ownership, what is there a product line you own, or is it the data as a product? Like, tell me about that. Yeah, also what we're going to be talking about, I was the product owner for the, the so-called data science core team, so the centralized team that did data science. Right now, I'm more on the route planning side and on deciding how we actually should use our delivery capacity for delivering those washing machines day to day and how we can optimally use that. So maybe give us, I mean, you threw away 18 months of machine learning work. That's that's an expensive thing to eat. And it's not, it's not just expensive, like, time and you know the people's labor and, and all this and, and there's hard costs associated with that but that's also like like politically and personally that's got to be a tough thing for the team to swallow and and to acknowledge like we need to stop here and we need to reroute and go this way no pun intended since you're working on routing but tell me about that past and making that decision was it a difficult decision like tell me about that i must say i wasn't there for the full 18 months mm -hmm. so i joined i think maybe half a year or no, I think a year actually before we threw it, well, half a year before we threw it all, something like that. Yeah. Came from a different team, different product owner role. And I, I got into this team and uh, I tried to understand what we were doing. And there was a lot of unclarity about why we were doing things and what people needed from us. Yeah. That in turn led me to believe that probably what we were doing wasn't what we should be doing. And um, then the outcome was that we had to, 
to stop this team. And there were indeed a couple of people really unhappy with that. And made some enemies there, but that's that's okay. I still think it was uh, a wise choice. What was this like? Was this a, I just woke up one day and I decided like that we got to stop, or was this a gradual decision and it was discussed with your management and it was like kind of like eventually you grew into this? Like there was some signal, right? Like what was the signal that? Yeah, the signal was that I didn't understand what the team was doing at all, which is okay. Usually for a product owner with this very specialized data. Uh, data people. Uh, I have the fortune that I also used to be a data scientist, uh, but I didn't understand why we were doing certain things or what we were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And when I asked what the goal was, basically I, I have this one simple question. Hey guys, what's the goal? What are we trying to achieve? And it didn't matter who I asked, but nobody knew. That was the red flag, I guess. <laughs> Build a model. That's the goal. <laughs> it didn't matter who I asked. I could ask my, my manager. I could ask the people we were building it for. I could ask the people delivering the data we were using. Nobody knew. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Could articulate it in such a way that what we were building made sense. Right. Everybody had their own little goal. That was clear. Right. And this is what we're trying to achieve. And so these tiny little things, but they just nothing aligned. What was the makeup of the team in terms of quantity, job titles, like give people a, a kind of a flavor of, and I don't know, do they, did they report into you or were you kind of like in charge, but no, no resources and politically you had to kind of build this team to work for it? Or do they actually report into you as a product owner? Like, tell me about that. Nobody reported into me because uh, we want to have that separate because I also can't teach them anything or evaluate them on their specific data science skills. So this was a team with three data scientists, I think, at the time that had been at the company for a really long time as well. I think four or five years and then something like it. So senior, senior data scientists, three of them, they were reporting into the manager data science kind of role uh, here. So it was just the four of you then together, you plus these three data scientists. Okay, got it. So they didn't, it sounds like they they were having a hard time linking their work back to some type of business or customer or end user value. They couldn't express that. Is that effectively what was going on? Well, so they knew, everybody knew. The issue was that everybody was, had a totally different understanding of the words that we were trying to achieve. So let me give you some context. So one of those things that we decided that nobody wants a 30-day return period or a year-long return period or whatever for the product. They don't want to return at all. Nobody wakes up in the morning deciding, ooh, I'm going to return this 20-kilo microwave now. Right. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Nobody <laughs> ever. So we're very strict on what kind of products we want to sell to people because we want to avoid returns as much as possible. So this was in that light. So we were avoiding returns. Now, the specific type of returns we were trying to avoid were when we make an error, somehow, we put a different color picture of the product on the website, and people start returning it way more because they expected a different product. And we want to catch that as soon as possible because returns come in over that 30-day period, and we want to make sure that as soon as we flag it, there's some time still. So while we don't fix it, we're selling stuff we know will come back and we will sell it to a lot of unhappy customers because they can't get their own product. So that was the goal. And everybody called this the expected return rate. That was the goal or that was the, um, the solution to all of our problems. If we would have, if we would know what return rate of these products we would expect, then it would be very easy to see which ones were clearly not or higher than expected. And therefore those could, something could be wrong with them. 
Tell me why that was the wrong KPI to be focused on, in your opinion, and where the disconnect with the data science team was. So for the data science team, this was great. They were there to create an expected return rate. And that's really difficult. And actually, they started all sorts of survival modeling stuff and, and really complicated stuff. But they never, no, nobody really asked, how are you going to use it when we have this? And turned out that they were going to use it in a dashboard. And then people had to actually look at their specific products, say, uh, well, washing machines. And then they would have to see on the highest level of all the washing machines whether the return rate in this week was higher than expected. And they had to drill down to find out which of the products actually was the one with the higher than expected return rate. And then they would have to find that one and decide what might have gone wrong with it to actually start fixing it. And then it doesn't suddenly sound like such a great idea anymore. <laughs> right. I just wake up and I just want to look at the return rates on my products and, oh, it's 0.6 instead of 0.7. Should I care? Is that it? Should I care about that? Like, Should I care about that? So now I'm on the website looking at my product images, trying to see, well, the pictures look correct and the spec looks correct and the returns don't mention anything about the color being wrong. So, okay, so I guess I'll go to the next one, right? <laughs> That's about what we were trying to ask of them. But right. you have to imagine this is, a, this is a chain of people with the best intentions, right? but nobody saw the holistic like, okay, but if this is the goal, if you actually want to find these specific products, as a data science team, we can help you. But obviously they came to us with a, we need an expected return rate. Well, what for? Well, to find outliers. Okay, I guess we can try and give you an expected return rate. That's where our questioning stopped. Okay, I see. So they actually came in with that language. The stakeholders that asked came in asking for an expected return rate. I'm pretty sure I'm not, like, okay. I wasn't there. Don't, got it, understood. That's what I got from it when I joined the team, yeah. So was it, I mean, at some point somebody asked for that. I don't, the returns team or, or the product line manager. I, I mean, I don't know who started it, but let, let me oversimplify the question. So you know that they're working on expected return rate. Well, who asked you to do that? Well, John did over and whatever. Okay, I'm going to go talk to John about it. Tell me more about where the disconnect happened, because it sounds like John or whoever it was had some... They did have a mission here. <laughs> they did have a benefit in mind of the work. So where where did you feel like you didn't get enough feedback that it made sense to continue working on this at all? Ah, okay. So we, we did actually continue working on it. Okay. We just threw away everything that was built up until that top point. Oh, okay. Because we understood that that specific solution would never work. But um, no, what we did, so I came in and there was indeed uh, somebody who was uh, tasked with uh, reducing the returns and there were some analysts helping and I uh, had my team there and I just read uh, Continuous Discovery Habits by uh, Teresa Torres and she uses this uh, opportunity solution tree and I was eager to start using it. It didn't exactly fit the purpose that she describes, but I couldn't really care less at that point. And what it has at the top is a desired outcome. And then there's a couple of opportunities on how you might be able to move the needle on that specific outcome. And then a, a ton of solutions that could actually address one of those opportunities. So I knew that there were a couple of sorry, solutions because we were building those. And I knew that there was some sort of outcome which had to do something with reducing returns. And then my question was, okay, guys, help me connect the dots with the people actually asking us to build this expected return rate and the other stuff. And there you slowly started to see that there was going to be a disconnect and nothing would ever connect back up to the outcome we were trying to 
achieve. Mm-hmm. So you talked about one of Teresa Torres' models that you were using and your staff. I'm, I'm curious about the discussion with your staff, I, I imagine, or not your staff, but the, the data science team about mapping the current implementation or solution back to the desired outcome. How is that conversation? I, I assume that they were involved in that conversation, right? Like I, I, you're like, hey, I'm product owner. I'm trying to map this back to this benefit, which is to reduce returns. Like the overall goal here is reduce returns. It's not to build a solution, right? It's it's the benefit. So tell me about that conversation. Like, did, did it click for them? Did it not click? You mentioned making some enemies and like, so I'm just curious where the, where the gap was between the, the technical work and people and your goal, which was to drive this benefit home. They actually really liked it because they were confused as well about what direction we should go. And also the people that we were building this for liked the exercise, even though they weren't entirely sure what was being asked of them exactly. So they could also actually take all this information back up to their stakeholders or boss or anything to help figure out what are we actually trying to solve and what part should we be focusing on. So I already gave away that the part that we should be focusing on is really on this product where we make a mistake and suddenly they become unsatisfactory to our customers. And that's also why we started a new initiative, which we called suddenly unsatisfactory products instead of expected return rate, which is tiny difference in language, if you like, but it's a totally different mindset of the type of solution we were going after. Can you say that one more time? Sure. What was the, the new one? The new one was that we wanted to find products that had suddenly become unsatisfactory to our customers. Ah, okay. Because that is the goal. Right. And the expected return rate is only a tool so that some human can try to find those products in a data set where they have to drill down. And that's actually one of the big connections that we managed to get out over a period of probably still months. And that then helped us to state, okay, that's drop all of this work and start a new endeavor to try and get this valuable idea still off the ground. The enemies there were more, I had decided that this way of working didn't work that well because this team was a centralized team with only data scientists and they didn't know anything of the context and they were unable to actually talk to the people around them enough to figure out that context or to get that context because they were so siloed off. So they were really brought in only for the data science specific task. Right. The problem brought to the data science team was the data science specific component that was deemed necessary instead of deciding that we wanted to solve this problem as a whole right. and having the people, the data scientists in this case, who were able to solve the problem also in the room trying to figure out, okay, how could we solve this? But then I had to go through some hoops to get that team into a domain instead of having a centralized thing. And the centralized thing is now gone as well. Oh, it is. Okay. That was kind of leading into my next question was, did the working model change? Did you bring whoever the stakeholder is on the return side who cares about this, this issue of like, let's not create product problems for our customers and let's get ahead of those. Somebody cares about that. I don't know what their title is or whatever. There's a department, but you can see a whole service here. It's like, we want to prevent it, but we're not always going to be able to prevent it. So when it does go wrong, then this is the process. There could be you know, there's service, there could be user experience design, there could be interfaces involved here, there could be workflows there. I don't know, there's like a whole bunch of stuff that's not just building the model for the return rate or whatever the new model thing was. So talk to me about like, who else got involved? Did you get data scientists in a room with these non data science people to kind of talk about what it's like to be the returns manager or 
you know? <laughs> we did actually, yes. What we already figured out is that even finding products that, that suddenly get returned more, it's not enough really, because somebody still has to find the root cause of what made them, what caused it. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons that we had at the time was there were a lot of air conditioners sold, but they were a bit yellow because that's that stood in the wrong spot. So there were suddenly a lot of them coming back with the comment, the other yellow, I ordered a white one. So that's totally different from the different picture, really. But you still need to figure that out. And then before sending them off, you can check in the box, okay, not yellow, okay, fine to go. So you also wanted to reduce the time to actually find or to maybe even propose the most probable reason or to help people do that as well. So in the end, it's all about a return on investment game. And the investment is the people's time that are going to investigate, are we going to fix this specific issue? And the return is we're not selling the wrong product to customers. And if we make the investment smaller, then we can look at more products. And that's good. And we do that by aiding this investigation as far ahead as we can. So ideally, if you want to make this into a product, you definitely need a lot more than only data science. What's the culture like now when you're building data products? What's the culture like in terms of how you do that? Who is involved? How do the data scientists that you work with react to that culture and and how you do it? Is it just like, it's just like oxygen? It's just the way we do it now? We bring in cross-functional teams? Like, tell me about that, what what it looks like now. Yeah, well, as I said, so we're moving. The only team at this point, a data team, kind of, that is a cross-functional team and we, in this case, also really need a couple of backend developers to connect all of that decision-making into systems. And we're a bit the weird one out. So it's really difficult for people to understand what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. We actually just had a conversation about it within the current team where we did add a couple of analysts, but no real like systems backend developers yet, about what do we really do? And how is that maybe different from what other teams do and how would we like to maybe be evaluated or how does this work? Because we see results that's clearly a lot better and we're building only stuff that gets used, that's useful, so that's good. And we're solving the right problems, but it's so different from what the organization is doing around us sometimes that it's not always easy to keep growing this direction. For people that are listening that maybe are in your shoes and maybe they're trying to make a pivot and they're not, maybe they can't, they're just like, I can't throw away so much sunk cost. Like politically, maybe they're not ready to pull that trigger yet and take the dive off the cliff and and go to something new. What are some of the things that you need to be aware of? Like in hindsight, are there things that you would do differently? Are there, and even when you emerge, right? You're saying it's not just like I emerged and then everything was rosy on the other side. You're still waiting through this process, like anything in hindsight you can share with people about that? A couple of things. One of them is actually in the, um, in one of the books I read about a, a submarine. So it's David Marquette's book, Turn the Ship Around. And he, he has this line that really resonates with me. It's, it's caring, not caring. The caring, not caring paradox. And the paradox is that you care for your mission and your people, and you don't care for the bureaucratic consequences to your personal career. And I think that's kind of what it takes at this point. You have to really believe in that this is a better way of working. And you have to accept it also for your team 
it's probably not going to be the easiest way to a salary increase or more recognition from the organization around you. But as Teresa mentions, Teresa Torres mentions, there's no such thing as the organization. The organization is you. It's like when you're in a, in a traffic jam, right? You're not in a traffic jam. You are the traffic jam. There's no other way. So you can wait until the organization changes. But the only way to do it is to start making those moves yourself and hope for the best. But that is what it takes. And it takes, us, in a way, a very special kind of person that are willing to go on this adventure with you. And there's some backing from management and some backing here or there. And there's in this, this, this company is amazing. And they have a very um, go-for-it mentality, very flexible mentality as well. So if you have a good idea, go for it. Try it. Go try it out. But you do need then the people that also want to go for it and go try out this new way of working. I want to tangent just for a second and address the data literacy advocates out there about what you just said here, which is if you're in this traffic jam, like you can wait for everything around you to change or you can make a change yourself. And the, the challenge I have with the data literacy camp, it's not that increasing data literacy is necessarily a bad choice or desire or end state, but this idea that the way to improve adoption of our data science work is to fix all of the people around us by educating them and improving them so that they can finally understand what it is that we do. I think it's insane. Yeah. Well, the other way is, well, maybe if we try to make our work more digestible, more applicable, so it doesn't require as much training or understanding of statistics or whatever it may, or a complicated visualization, that maybe our work would have more impact quickly. That's the other mindset, which is like, why don't we get better at the business and the user experience piece instead of waiting for the organization to catch up with literacy? I just training, uh, you know, 50,000 people or, or train 10 people to change how they work. And I think that's a really profound thing. And it does. And maybe there's a cost to it. Maybe there's politically there can be a cost to that. And I think that just shows real leadership that you're willing to, to stick your nose out there and say, we're going this way. Like I, I'm going over here, we're going to do things this way. It's better for you. It's better for them. It's actually better for all of us. It's not just about me or anything like that. It takes, that's takes real leadership to do that. So I applaud what you're doing. I mean, even if it doesn't work, it's like just having the bravery to go and, and say, there's a better way here for everybody. It takes a lot. So congratulations to you for doing that and sharing and being public about it. That I think that takes a lot. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good to hear. But I, I completely, I completely agree with literacy. It's an uphill battle. You will never win it. And also, it doesn't make too much sense to me, realistically. And even the whole adoption thing. I don't know. There's, there's no company should be claiming that adoption is the problem, or at least they could be claiming that adoption of their product is the problem. But then probably either you're not solving the right problem or you're not having the right solution, it just, there's no value apparently, right? So, and yes, that might mean that actually there is some intrinsic value in the technical part. If you add the user understanding, people will start using it, right? So there's ways to overcome this, but if you're trying to market a solution and you're trying to search for adoption, it kind of, it's a backwards game. And if you're not changing the solution, 
it's a leading indicator, right? It's a leading indicator that something's off, but it, it's not the real problem. Like, oh, the adoption's low, increase the adoption. It's like, well, maybe just getting more adoption is it? You're, you're, you're totally right. But it's a, it's a strong leading signal that something's wrong, you know? Definitely, definitely. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the solution is wrong. It could mean that the problem you're solving isn't interesting. And maybe your solution is perfect for the problem. Just nobody cares about the problem. Well, whatever you do with your solution, like if the world doesn't change, nothing is going to happen to your adoption either. But it takes the, the human-centered approach to figure that out, hey, this is not the right problem, even though we thought it was. But actually, we can pivot it or we can do something with it. And then obviously adoption should go up. But this sort of search for adoption of a data product, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It's a, you, have to, you have to be thinking a couple of steps ahead and, and look beyond the surface, the leading indicator to understand the reasoning for that. And that's, that's not a technical skill. It's a different kind of skill that's required to do that. And, and I think it's something that can be developed. But tell me a little bit about these days. Like, tonight, I know you're in, in progress here. Are, are you seeing any change in the stakeholders you work with, like, I, I'm, I assume they probably don't see all the sausage make how you're changing the factory about how the sausage is made. But like, are they seeing any difference that you can tell? Or, or is it maybe you're working with these stakeholders and end users more frequently? Is there anything they can tell that you that you can tell us about what you've perceived they're they're getting out of it or, or benefits that they're seeing? Or just, even if it's just qualitative feedback that you're getting? And this is so that people understand the leading indicators for if I make this change, I might know if it's working because I'll see, and then you fill in the blank. <laughs> so people are happy that you're there, I think. The people really impact. And they're happy with the honesty and transparency that you bring, that sometimes things also don't go well. And they understand in what kind of maybe environment you're, you're working or what systems you have to deal with and they will still well maybe even applaud you like they will say hey okay but the current state isn't ideal but you're at least trying to understand what i'm trying to do therefore i'm okay with whatever you decide to go build and i will also trust you if you tell me that you're not going to help me for at least another half a year because it just won't help me yet or it's too difficult or you're still first focused on this other thing that I can understand makes sense that you also want to fix that first. I think that's that's the main advantage. It sounds like you're, if I replay that back, your stakeholders, the, the end users of these data products you're making, they feel a genuine sense of empathy that you actually give a shit about what their life is like. What's it like to be the returns manager or whatever? And the simple act of questioning and being there and trying to understand them builds the trust so that when you need to make a solution or if you say sorry i can't help you right now we need to go fix this other you know maybe it's a data quality issue or some other thing they now know that you have their best interest in mind and your goal is not to just build some visualization and throw a chart and throw it over the wall it's actually to you know reduce these returns that are coming that you know maybe this guy's losing sleep over this because yellow dishwashers keep coming back <laughs> You know, exactly. so is that basically what you're saying? Like they're feeling the empathy, they're feeling that you guys actually care. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great first step. I mean, you're building the trust there. And this is how I think great products are built, especially internal data products is, is that understanding there's a two way understanding there. And now we're all working towards the same goal, you know? Yeah. And what you, especially with data science in, in the way that I think of it, because data science isn't really a protected term in any way. 
So everything could be data science or data E. To me, it's very often about understanding the problem so well, so deeply, that you can come up with totally new ways of attacking it. And you need your team to be able to understand the real core problem so deeply because they are the ones that can come up with these different angles of attack. I mean, I've been a data scientist for a year, so I've some, I can come up with stupid angles of attack. They're not brilliant. But unfortunately, I have a team that once we understand the team, they can also challenge me on my understanding of the problem. They can challenge the people around us on like, okay, but is this really what we're trying to achieve? And that's a really core question that also, as everybody else, maybe also with stakeholders where you're suddenly going to think about edge cases. Okay, sure. So you're saying that this is what you want to achieve. But then if we would build something like this, would that help you? Why would that help you? Explain, like, tell me. And then they're like, yeah, no, that wouldn't help me at all because blah, 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 blah. And by that, creating that understanding and also showing that you know, right, teasing out really what would and wouldn't work. Yeah, you get to better solutions and you can also help the people that are impact. They also really help you in the ideation if you're lucky. And that's where yeah, a lot is possible suddenly. Is that when you, you were kind of, I was picturing you in a meeting room with like a whiteboard and like, would this help you? And you're drawing and they're drawing and you're like, no, that would not because that leads down this rat hole and I don't want to spend my time looking in Tableau. And then you go this way. And is that what it was like? This is your kind of rough prototyping here with them on, on the fly or tell me about that. Yeah, it's even a, a what if hypothetical scenario. So let's say, say we build our expected returns thingy because that's actually one of the tricks that I often use. Okay, say we have it. It's there. We build. Now what? What do you do with it? So say that it, it actually shows for whatever product that is high. Would that help you? And then they start, well, no, not really, because I don't know which product. Okay, so that's a problem then. Or right, So this is already enough. And even the other way around, you could say, well, okay, so say that on average, because you're still looking on the, the highest level, like all washing machines, if that shows zero, but actually it turns out that there's three that are really getting returned way more, and there's three that exactly cancel it, would that be okay? Would that be bad? That's enough, because obviously they will shout, well, that's bad. But then immediately, you also make them realize that the whole idea of going in from the top and trying to figure it out from that like aggregate level will not work. And it's enough of a, an example. And yes, you can use a whiteboard, but sometimes even these kinds of weird examples work. So I'm coming from, from a physics background. And what we often do, we do these, these, these sort of mind experiments where you say, or you try to figure out where does this go to if it will go to infinity. Those things work wonders. If you can translate them back to something that people, you know, can still relate to. That's the other option. And kind of wrapping up here, have you had a chance yet to push any of these data products into production to get feedback from these people maybe before that and see any results or benefits of this process? Like, hey, they're actually using the new not the return rate, but the whatever the, I forget what the previous metric yeah. was that we we're talking about, but have you have you seen any re result now of this uh, way of working? So yes and no. So from this whole return exercise, because it took, well, uh, a year and a half to build the wrong thing and then maybe a month or two to build the right thing, by then the returns department got shuffled around. It wasn't that much of, so actually this, we decided that this is actually a way of customers giving us feedback. 
because they're telling us that this is not the right product. So we moved it to a different department as well. So this thing just got canceled. So we really threw everything away and then we stopped with the team. However, immediately after I started the new team, which is now in this delivery space where we have to figure out yeah, how much work we can accept basically to make the best use of our capacity. And that's, that's being used. And the way we did it is by constantly making sure, okay, what are you doing now? So we didn't go into the old data science CMRFE way. We actually went for the impact way, which is way more data engineering, way more software engineering. Build, well, actually we automated in a way somebody's got feeling, uh, whatever they were doing, we were trying to emulate that as best we could until they were confident because this person was doing it in their, on their own. Uh, until they were confident enough that we were allowed to be uh, in the driver's seat. From that point on, we were in the driver's seat. And then we could start working on the math and making the decisions more clever, better, etc. So that's where we're at now. And, and it's getting used constantly. The other approach would have been to lock ourselves up for half a year or so, trying to, in some lab-like environment, figure out some hypothetical way that could be better and then trying to see if anybody would ever like to adopt it. And interestingly, also the guy that was doing it left by now or went to a different job. So I'm not sure if it would have gotten used just because of the lead time it would have taken. Because this guy wasn't there, would somebody else have had the guts to, to put this weird club of computer scientists at the steering wheel? I don't know. So because we were already doing it uh, and we were already... We had shown that we knew what we were doing and had built that empathy. We are now allowed to make it really bad. Marnix, thanks for coming on here and sharing all this with us. I wanted to give you the last word and also uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Besides, if you're not in the DPLC, is it LinkedIn or Twitter? So yeah, last word to you. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Um, there's no last words. I just love being on this show. <laughs> so it's, it's nice. I've been listening to the show for, I don't know, two years or so? I don't know, really long time. I think I dreamed the intro. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Because that really helped in this journey. So thank you for, uh, for doing that. Thank you. I'm glad. And uh, yeah, I, I, I am really bad at any social stuff or reaching out stuff, but LinkedIn is your best bet. I will try to actually I get notifications on my phone. So uh, I, will, I will accept. So let's do LinkedIn. Uh, and it's uh, Marnix, yeah. Founders of VD and then Stolpe. Excellent. We'll link that up in the in the show notes for sure. Well, great. But Marnix, thanks again uh, for being so transparent. I really applaud your your transparency and your you're willing to kind of really open up the the, the I always use the sausage metaphor because I like meat, but <laughs> show us how it's how it's being made over in your little corner of the world and, and let others learn from your your experience. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag experiencing data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.